Good morning, everyone. It's good to see your lovely faces again. I'm excited about uh, digging into the next couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians. Just a little bit of recap from last Sunday. Uh, We had covered just a little bit of background of the city of Corinth. It was a famously immoral and wicked city. Yet when Paul went there, God told him, stay here for a while because I have many people in this city. Um, When we look at the first chapter, Paul lays a foundation for his letter, which was full of addressing problems in the Corinthian church. He lays a foundation. He says, you've been sanctified. You're called to be saints. The testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. You've been enriched in speech and knowledge. You have all the gifts that you need as you wait for the revealing of Jesus, who will sustain you guiltless to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing foundation for this letter. And we talked about the difference between flattery and and what Paul, the foundation that Paul laid here. He was not saying, now I see some good things in you guys and I like this about you and I like that about you, but you've got these problems. No, he was saying, you are in good hands. God has called you. He has sanctified you. He has called you to be saints. Now live up to the calling. Because his trust was in God who had called them, he could say these things about them. But then in chapter 1, he addresses a major problem that was in the church. Anybody remember what that was specifically? Division. So they had attached themselves to people. Some people said, I belong to Paul. Other people said, I belong to Apollos. And some said, no, Peter's the original. He followed Jesus. So they had these divisions in the church of people who had attached themselves to different teachers. And probably part of it was due to the mix of cultures that they had in, in Corinth, uh, Greek, Roman, and Jewish cultures. Um, but Paul laid it out. He said, the solution for your divisions is the cross. Because there, everyone is at the same place in front of the cross. And that is the true display of the wisdom of God. The wisdom that a lot of the Corinthians were pursuing was not the wisdom that was found on the cross. It was the wisdom of, of who's the best teacher, who's the best speaker, who has the, the deepest understanding and knowledge. Those were the kinds of things that they were pursuing. Instead of going back to the original wisdom of God as displayed through the cross of Jesus. And he said the reason that, that those who don't believe don't see the wisdom of God in that is because for the Jews it was a stumbling block. They were looking for power, signs. And for the Greeks it was just, it was just foolishness. They're like, whatever. That's a ridiculous story. It's not going to do anything for us. But for those who believe Jesus Christ had become wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's who Jesus was to those who believed. And so that leads into chapter 2. Um, and I wasn't going to take the time to read this, but it only takes five minutes. So I'm going to read chapters 2 and 3, and then we'll, we'll get started here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. 
but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is freely given us by God. But the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is, he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you, you all, are God's temple, and that the God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is 
foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Let's just pray again. God, I pray that you would take this word and put it deep into our hearts. We need you, Holy Spirit, to make this alive to us and practical to to our lives. And I just ask that right now you would speak to us. The, the word, the specific word that you have for this group of people right here. And help us to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul starts out with a proclamation of the gospel, kind of a summary of what he had talked about in chapter 1. He says, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul was an educated guy. And he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. He, he took specific steps, intentional steps, to not present the gospel in such a way that people would be caught up with the wisdom and the philosophical arguments that he could have made as a very educated person. He determined to know among them only Christ and him crucified. Now, when, when Paul says Christ and him crucified, he's talking about the package of salvation, redemption, justification that, that came through the cross. He's not just talking about, let's just retell the story of how Jesus died one day. But he's talking about the implications that that has in the life of a believer. And we're very familiar with that. We've been looking at that, most of us, all our lives, most of our lives, uh, Romans 5, 9 says that through the cross we're justified, reconciled, saved from the coming wrath. It says, since now, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So that's one thing the cross does for us is we've been justified and saved from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, put into right relationship with God. We shall be saved by his life. Second uh, Corinthians five says that we are freed from ourselves. He died for all so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Because he died for our sake and was raised. And in chapter four, he says, always carrying in the in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. That's another thing that the death of Jesus does it. It through the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. We can live. We can live out the life of Jesus because our lives are marked by his death. Through his death, he blotted out condemnation. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. That's another thing that the cross does is it canceled the record of debt that we all had. So that's, that's gone because of the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him on the cross. So this is all part of what the cross means to us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because as the Old Testament said, curse is everyone who is nailed to a tree. That's what the cross does. Through the cross, Jesus became a curse 
so that we would be redeemed from the curse. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So Paul is saying this package of what the cross means, that is where true wisdom is. Anything else is not going to lead us to true wisdom. We have to come back to the cross if we want true wisdom. And to understand this, we probably have to, to remember back to the way Corinth was. They had, they had this huge amphitheater at, at the base of a mountain. There's this, uh, the, what they called the Acro Corinth. It's a mountain that goes up like 1,800 feet just out of the, the middle of nowhere, even though they're really close to the ocean there. Um, and, and at the base of this Acrocorn, they had this huge amphitheater. It could seat thousands of people. And they would have famous orators come through. And you could buy tickets to go and listen to these amazing orations that they would make on all kinds of uh, science and philosophy and all this amazing sounding wisdom. And the Corinthians loved this. They just ate it up. Uh, they would go and, and sit and listen to these orators. And Paul is saying that the gospel did not come to you like that. The Corinthians probably thought, some of them probably thought, the gospel needed to be kind of like that so that our culture would be able to accept it. And Paul says, no, I intentionally didn't preach like that because I didn't want the cross to be emptied of its power. I didn't come to you in lofty speech or preaching, proclamation. And I didn't come to you with plausible human words. You know what plausible means? It means it sounds legit. It sounds true. It's reasonable. It says, my message was not that way. Rather, I came to you in weakness and fear and, and a lot of trembling. That's how I came to you when I brought to you the gospel. And also, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So he's contrasting human wisdom and smooth-sounding speech to the gospel that comes in power, demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit, his power demonstrated in us, it convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it turns us to Christ, and then it empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us through the gospel. Jesus said, you're going to receive power to be witnesses for me. And then he transforms us from the inside so that the fruit that comes out of our life, when we were selfish, self-centered, proud, and arrogant people, the fruit that comes out of our life is no longer that, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. My kids have been memorizing the fruit of the Spirit. And we're, we're wanting to see that come out of our lives as we embrace the gospel of Jesus now, it's very possible that, that when Paul came to Corinth that there were a lot of miracles and signs and healings and things like that. But I don't think that's the only thing he was talking about when he says that it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I think that he was talking about when I preached the gospel to you, even though it sounded like just like a bunch of foolishness to a lot of people, it transformed lives in this corrupt, wicked city. There were people who were transformed and who gave up their social status and, and their past to become followers of Jesus. And in Corinth, this was a big deal. Corinth was such an idolatrous city. Idolatry was just mixed into everything. When you went to the, to the meat market to buy meat, it was 
a, a temple where they also sacrificed that meat to the idols. Their idolatry was just saturating that culture. And so to follow Christ came at a price. And yet the gospel had power to turn Corinthians' hearts to Christ. Another reason I think that Paul's not just talking about miracles is because in, in uh, chapter 4, just a couple chapters later, he's telling them what the apostles look like. He says, we're, we're sentenced to death. We're spectacles to the world. We're fools, weak. We're in disrepute, hungry, thirsty, homeless, working hard to eke out a living. We're reviled and slandered. In, we're practically the scum of the earth. We're the refuse of all things. That's his description of the apostles. Does that sound like someone who's just going out like doing mighty miracles, healing people and you know, moving mountains? It doesn't. It doesn't give you that picture. It gives you kind of a, a different picture of what the apostles' life was like. It in, included a lot of suffering and a lot of being made a spectacle. A lot of people like, those guys are weird. They're they're complete idiots, and the message they're preaching is idiocy. And Paul is saying that message that the world disregards has become the power of God and the wisdom of God in your lives. Another thing that we can do sometimes is we, we look at Paul's Addressed to the Corinthians saying, I didn't come to you in lofty speech and wisdom. And so, well, then less education is better. And just um, it doesn't matter if I say it backwards, whatever. You know, it's okay if it sounds stupid. That's not necessarily what he's saying. He's saying there is a, there is a wisdom that we impart to the mature, but it's not the same as the wisdom of the world. It's not based on sentence structure and big words and whatever. It's, it's based on... On power, And it's a wisdom that is revealed by the Holy Spirit, not intellectually apprehended. That's the big difference. Because the worldly wisdom was intellectually apprehended. This wisdom cannot be. He says, in fact, the natural man can't understand it. It appears to be foolishness. When, in fact, it is wisdom of the highest sort. It's not wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. And he says, in fact, if, if the rulers of this age would have been able to understand the wisdom of God as it came through the cross, they would not have crucified Jesus. But because they could not comprehend God's wisdom as it came through the cross of Jesus, they played right into his hand. They crucified Jesus, and it ended up being the most amazing display of the wisdom of God in all of history. That the Son of God became flesh and was made a curse to redeem humanity from the power of that curse. It is a wisdom that is secret. It's hidden. You know what that means? That means you can't easily find it. It has to come to you. It's ancient. It's this stands in contrast to, to a new teaching or new doctrine that, that we come up with that sounds like wisdom. This is old wisdom that God has hidden from before the beginning of time. And now he's revealing it to individuals. He's revealing it to you and I. That, that should just put us in awe that the Holy Spirit brings that kind of 
old, hidden, secret wisdom that you and I could not have apprehended intellectually, and he reveals it to our hearts. Because the things of God can only be understood by the Spirit of God, and he uses an example of the thoughts of a man. Now, if I want to know what Jeff Cook thinks, I can hang out around him, and Kathy probably knows a lot more about what he thinks than I do, because she spends more time with him. But still, Kathy just gets to uh, maybe read his facial expressions and hear the words he says. Really what's going on deep down in, in Jeff Cook's heart, only Jeff knows. Only the spirit of Jeff knows that. The same is true with all of us. Just picking on you as an example. And, and he's saying here that the wisdom of God is the same way because it's really, it's the depths of God, the thoughts of God. It's what's deep inside of God. You can't apprehend that just by listening to, to what he says or by reading his facial expressions. It has to come to you by the Spirit of God. Because just as only the Spirit of a man knows what's inside that man, only the Spirit of God knows what's inside God. And it's foolishness for us to think that we can figure it out apart from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has to come inside our hearts, our minds, our spirits and reveal the depths of God. Otherwise, we will never know it. He's saying that is wisdom. That is the wisdom of the gospel. It's given to us through, through the Spirit whom we have received. The truth we learn through the Spirit can also only be communicated by the Spirit. So I can get up here and maybe God revealed something about himself to me. And to be clear, it's very, it's very limited scope. We see through a glass dimly. We only see little bits of God until we see him face to face. Then we're going to know him for real. But maybe God reveals something about himself to me. And I stand up here and I try to communicate that to you. And he's saying, that can't happen except by the Spirit of God. I can come up here and I can use all kinds of words and I can try to convince you of what God revealed to me about himself. But it will not enter your heart and your mind unless the Holy Spirit communicates that. Because he is taking spiritual truths and interpreting them by the Spirit, to those who are spiritual. And as long as we're carnal and trying to rationalize and reason our way to God, we cannot apprehend the truths about God. What's a spiritual man? It's someone who is discerning things through spiritual means rather than intellectual means. That's why he's not judged by human judgment. He's judged by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God even sees what's inside of him and takes those spiritual truths, reveals them to his heart, and brings right judgment to his heart. Unfortunately, a lot of us spend a lot of time looking around at each other and saying, what does he think about me? What does she think about me? And judging ourselves with that kind of judgment, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual truths to light inside of us, to reveal what's really inside of our heart. And Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. That comes through the Spirit. 
That's where we learn to think the way God thinks. So far, we've addressed basically two kinds of people. We've addressed the carnal people, the, the, the world that could not receive the gospel. It looked like foolishness to them. It was a stumbling block in foolishness. And on the other side, we have those who believed the gospel, and it became the power of God to salvation. But then in chapter 3, Paul says that's a little too simplistic There's actually not just two categories. There's another category of people. And it's those who have believed in the gospel and who were transformed by its power. But then they don't grow. They stay there. There's a category of people who have been transformed by the gospel, but they are still infants. Not in terms of character. Because Jesus said that we need to be like little children in terms of character. But... Infants in terms of what we can take in and digest. Infants in terms of growth. We're not growing. We're not progressing to learn more about the deep things of God. And Paul is saying "There there is a deeper wisdom that I would like to impart to you, but I haven't been able to. Because instead of being mature adults, you're still fleshly and carnal. And that's why I've only been able to feed you with milk. You're still just taking little bits of milk out of a bottle instead of taking solid food that would make you grow into maturity. What do you think the difference is between milk and what Paul calls spiritual food, meat? What are some of the differences that we see between the letter to the Corinthians and say the letter to the Ephesians or the letter, the epistle of Romans. We might think of it as, uh, well, maybe something that's more theologically weighty. um, And, and, you know, we go from milk might be, you know, the introduction to the gospel. And then we branch off from that and we go to things that are more theologically deep and we get more into the doctrinal areas and, This is how you should live, and this is how a mature Christian acts. But that might be a bit of a misconception because 1 Corinthians is actually filled with, uh, like, why are you guys acting this way? This is how you're supposed to act. This is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be getting drunk when you're having communion. You're not supposed to be using your, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to, to run all over each other and to make a big show of yourselves. You're not supposed to be attaching yourselves to other people and say, I belong to that teacher over there. I belong to to that guy. I'm following him. There's there's all these little things that Paul has to bring up and say, "That's, that's not the way a Christian is supposed to be living. When they should be able to go to theological depths and growth that's far beyond the things that Paul's addressing here. Paul's saying, I'm still having to deal with these basic elementary things because not because you guys are like intellectually shy a few bricks not because you haven't haven't you know graduated from high school you just have your ged it's not because of that it's because you're fleshly (laughs) it's because you're fleshly and carnal and he says while there is still jealousy and strife among you aren't you just acting merely in a human way 
if there's jealousy and strife in us, we can't receive the deeper wisdom of God. It's a heart issue, not an intellectual issue. Because the jealousy and strife and pride and arrogance, the high view of our own opinions, keeps us from receiving wisdom from God. They had been distracted by the messenger. They were looking at the different teaching styles and maybe the different teaching content and attaching themselves to people instead of realizing that those were just messengers. They were just messengers. Paul was just a messenger. Apollos was just a messenger. Even though he was an excellent teacher. Peter, even though he spent three years following Jesus, was just a messenger. He's saying, these are actually servants to the body of Christ. They belong to you. They're tools that are supposed to be making you grow. And when you attach yourself and you start drawing identity out of people, individuals, you can't grow spiritually. Be careful how you build on the foundation of Jesus. I think most of us are clear that the foundation is Jesus. And there's no other foundation that can be laid other than that which already exists, Jesus Christ. But we can build different things on the foundation of Jesus. Depending on the carnality that we hold on to, the flesh that we allow to rule us, or whether we are opening our hearts to the Holy Spirit who will come in and reveal the deep wisdom of God in us to grow us to maturity. In verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? And that you there is plural, it's y'all. Don't you know that y'all are God's temple? That the church is God's temple, it's God's dwelling place? And he says, if, if you destroy that temple, God is going to destroy you. He'll help you in your destructive efforts. But this was one of the problems the Corinthians had. They didn't realize that they were, in fact, the dwelling place of God that deserved the respect that comes from that identity. When we know that we are God's dwelling place, individually and collectively, then we can show the respect and honor that that deserves. And Paul and Apollos are just tools to build that dwelling place for God. So he gives a passionate summary in in, in verses 18 through 23. He says, scrap your wisdom in exchange for the wisdom that God gives. Because the worldly wisdom is actually, it's foolishness to God. He says, the wisdom of God, earlier he says the wisdom of God is foolishness to people. Now he says, worldly wisdom, what you've gained from your intellect and your knowledge, is that's foolishness to God. So scrap that in exchange for the wisdom that God wants to give you through the Holy Spirit. Don't reduce yourself to being a servant of people. Don't detach yourself to certain teachers and say, I'm going to follow that guy. Because Paul and Apollos 
are yours. They're resources that God gave to you. And the teachers that you listen to are just resources that God gave to you. And sometimes they're going to get it wrong. So don't attach yourself to them. But realize this is a tool that God's using to build his body, to build the church. And you are servants of God, servants of Christ. You belong to him. That's the place of your identity. That's where true Christian identity comes from, is belonging to God and understanding that the things that God gives to the body are tools just to build that body. He goes on to say in chapter 4, and we're not going to go through chapter 4 in depth. Um, We're kind of crunching down about 15 sessions into 5 or 6, so we're skimming over parts of this here. But in chapter 4, he says that that he and Apollos, they're actually servants of God, and that's how they should be regarded. They're stewards. They have been entrusted with a message. It's not coming from themselves, and so the power that it has is not based on the steward. It's based on the giver of the gift. A steward doesn't make the rules for how the investment is handled. He goes by the rules of the owner. And I, I worked for a company where we managed several businesses that were owned by people who were not really around the business at all. And sometimes they wanted things to be done that probably didn't make the best business sense, but it wasn't our problem. We simply did what the business owner wanted us to do. And Paul's saying that's how we are, the apostles, as servants of Christ. We're just stewards of the gift that God is giving to the church, the wisdom of God coming through us, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We are stewards, not the owners of the message. That's why the message has power, because it's coming from God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And he says that this is why it's not a big deal to me if I'm judged by people. I think this is an important part, uh, concept for us to get a hold of here. It's not a big deal to us, to him, if he's judged by other people. Who would say that's true of your life? Like the way you actually feel and think when someone judges you. I was just putting my hand up by way of like, you know, asking you to put your hand up. I, I was really convicted by that because... It's really hard on me when I receive criticism from other people. And on the flip side, when I receive commendation from people, it often means too much to me. Paul is saying, because we know we're stewards of the grace of God, it's not a big deal when people judge me. Because that's not what counts. What counts is the fact that God is judging me. And he's not saying it in a... a, as a means of self-defensiveness, don't get on my case about that. On the contrary, he's saying, he says that when, when God comes and when he judges us, then everyone will receive their commendation. So we often think of this judging as like a negative thing. Like, I'm like, Michael, why did you say that? That was a stupid thing to say, whatever. And I'm judging him that way. Or it could be the flip side where I'm, where I'm saying, wow, that was a really amazing thing you did there. And I, I'm just so impressed by your life. And I'm so impressed with how you help other people and whatever. And he's saying, no, this, that's not the commendation I'm looking for. I'm looking for when God comes and he evaluates 
everything that I've done, everything that I've built on the foundation of God, then I'm going to receive my commendation because that's who I'm serving. And if I care too much about the judgment of people, then I can't serve Christ. So don't take judgment into your own hands because at the appointed time, God is going to disclose the hidden things, reveal the secrets of the hearts, and he's going to give everyone the reward that they are due. And then he finishes chapter 4 with an entreaty as from a father. And listen to what he says to dearly beloved children. He says that to the Corinthians in spite of the reports that he had gotten about them. He says, you're my dearly beloved children. And what I want is for you guys to grow in maturity and get to the place where God can reveal the deep wisdom of God. That is the secrets about God that can only come to us through the Holy Spirit. That's what I want for you guys. But the only way that's going to happen is if we lay aside our jealousy and strife and envy and vying for the higher positions and attaching ourselves to people. And we learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He reveals the wisdom of God to us.